Hey everyone, Sam Ovens here, and in today's video, I want to explain how to play with chaos in business. And what I mean by that is how to really deal with complexity and uncertainty and basically deal with chaos. And really, if there's one massive thing that I've learned from being in business so far, it's that you really need to be good at dealing with complexity and chaos because chaos is just everywhere. And the deeper you go in business, the more chaos there is, the more complexity there is. And you really have to get good at making things simple and understanding what's signal and what's noise and also developing a collection of mental models that you can use to observe the complexities and the chaos through. They're like lenses that you can view things through. And when you view, you know, what most people see as just absolute chaos and uncertainty, when you develop some mental models and you get used to using them, you can look at that chaos through a lens and it makes things simple and understandable for you. And when you have that kind of comprehension, you're able to come in and make decisions and understand like what's going to happen as things unfold. And you really get better at making decisions. You get more accurate. You're able to be right more often, which is kind of important. And you're also able to just deal with the unfathomable complexity, right? Because if you look at everything in the detail, like everything up close, and if you listen to every conversation and every comment and every little data point and every metric, you will get lost and you'll drown in complexity. And what I really want to do is cover some mental models that I've used and continue to use in business and in life that have helped me a lot. And I think this is going to be a cool series that we can kind of uh, roll out on YouTube on my weekly blog videos, where I, you know, in each video, I kind of explain a different mental model and what it is, how it works, how you can use it, how you can adopt it, and when the right time to use that model is. And so my hopes in doing that is that, one, I show you how to, I show you a bunch of different mental models. You can, you can adopt those, and then you can use them yourself for dealing with different things in life and in business. And in today's video, the one I want to cover is really how to deal with chaos. And chaos is it's something that's very fascinating. And you know, a lot of the time we see things that are happening in the world and we think we know what causes it or we don't have any idea what causes it. And what's fascinating is when we think we know what causes it, it's often never that and we're wrong. And then when we don't understand what it is, I mean, there is still a cause, right? And so humans are very bad at understanding causality and understanding complex, dynamic, nonlinear systems, which is basically everything that is worth or everything that you should understand is basically a complex, nonlinear, dynamic system, right? And so... You really need to get good at this stuff. If you want to be a good human, if you want to be a good businessman, you really need to understand it. And I'm going to attempt to make things really, really simple in today's video. I'm not going to, uh, you know, go into 
complex stuff. I'm going to try and make it as simple as possible. So when you're dealing with chaos and uncertainty, you need to understand the four rules that really govern everything in the universe that like everything in the universe. I mean, business, your, your human body, your mind, your team, uh, your products, your market, your niche, like everything you could possibly observe in the universe, it follows these four simple rules. And I cover them right now. So number one, the first one is entropy, right? And what entropy is, is it's basically disorder and chaos and what you need to understand is that there is a constant pull towards entropy like it doesn't matter what it doesn't really matter what we're doing there's a constant pull towards this for example like a human body ages and it deteriorates over time right that is a constant pull towards entropy aging is entropy and if you've got like a car, it's going to have a constant pull towards, you know, disintegrating. It's going to rust, it's going to get corrosion, it's going to wear out, right? And so, no matter what it is, you know, even a pair of running shoes, they're going to deteriorate over time. That is like the constant pull that you're working against in business. And it doesn't matter what it is. If you create a product, there's going to be a pull towards entropy. If you're working on your skills, if you're working on your mindset, if you're working on your health and your fitness, if you're working on your sleep, no matter what you're dealing with, it is always going to be pulling towards entropy. And I'm going to explain these four rules, and then I'm going to give you some actual examples in business and in real life so that we can really uh, cement these in your mind. The second one is initial conditions. see that cool so initial conditions are basically the factors and the basically the experience that different things had in the early stages when they were created so for example you know you've got initial conditions for when your company was formed right so when you form your company the first the first few hires you make and the environment and the culture and the principles and the mission that you form when that nexus really is just coming together, those are the initial conditions that your company is, is formed on. Your initial conditions as a human would be the family and your home and environment and school and social circles that you like grew up with right those are the initial conditions of a, of a human and if we look at different plants in nature or different animals in nature you know their environment and the different uh, factors of their environment that shapes uh, that those are the initial conditions there and why it's important to understand initial conditions is because things like everything has a tendency to self-replicate right? And so what we see is that when 
the initial conditions are formed. For example, let's say a company, and this one's a fascinating one, right? So let's say, let's look at Facebook, right? So Facebook right now, it's, it's having a lot of problems with privacy. A lot of people are like up in arms about privacy with Facebook and all of this. And really, if you want to understand how this has happened, all you need to do is go back and look at the initial conditions that Facebook was formed on, right? And if we look right back at Mark Zuckerberg, when he was at Harvard, like, he had, there was privacy concerns with Mark Zuckerberg at, at Harvard. He almost got expelled from Harvard because he created like a, some kind of, uh, some kind of online service where you could, I think it was called Face Mash or something, I, I might get the name wrong, but he basically created some kind of thing at Harvard where you could see uh, images of other students and basically rate them whether they were hot or not. And how Zuckerberg got this information is he basically hacked into the Harvard server and he pulled all of this information, which was private, from there and displayed it on this application. And he that was a privacy violation and you know he almost got kicked out of Harvard for that. So, you know, Zuckerberg has had this this constant kind of run-in with privacy since before Facebook was formed, right? And then when Facebook was formed, it's always been privacy. If you look back throughout Facebook's history, they've had constant issues with privacy. And so really this isn't, like if we look at the initial conditions there, we can kind of see exactly what's gonna happen later. Because what happens with initial conditions is they have a tendency to self-replicate just at larger and larger and larger scales. So you imagine like a, a pattern that exists at a very small scale. Well, with time and with scale, all we see is just an extrapolated, magnified version of that pattern. It just gets more and more extreme, right? And so that's, that's how we can see that. And this is why it is so important in business to pay attention to initial conditions. You know, like one thing that is so important that I don't think anybody thinks of is their first few hires and their culture and their principles and their vision and their mission. You know, these different elements come together to form the nexus and how that comes together in those initial stages dictates everything. And I mean everything. Like, if you want to look at Google and how it was formed at that small scale, they were ruthless about only hiring the best talent. They would hire on average one person for every 10,000 resumes that they received. No kidding. And so it was painfully slow to make these hires at the start. But now what, you, what we see with Google is a massive, like one of the world's biggest companies that is a self-replicating talent machine, right? Probably some of the smartest people in the world work at Google. And I think last time I looked, there was 98,600 of them full-time employees at Google. And all of them are of an extremely high standard. Now, how did they get to be like that? How did Google build such a massive self-replicating talent machine? You just need to look at the initial conditions, right? How did Google organize so much of the world's information? Well, you just need to look at the initial conditions. What was their mission statement, right? What did the founders believe in? And also, 
what were their standards on hiring and who were the people on the team and what were their principles and values and then if you if you understand that then you can see like what's going to happen at a later stage it's like a fractal pattern and a fractal like keeps repeating itself and this is exactly what happens in the initial conditions and a lot of entrepreneurs do not pay any attention to this they think they can cheat the universe right like oh we'll just hire some really bad people we'll just make we'll just we won't have any principles and we'll just do some dumb shit and kind of piss off some customers and things and then later on we'll change it around right never happens and also i watched this documentary called the fire festival and it's actually that's not the name of the documentary but if you google like fire fyre festival uh documentary i think uh there's one on netflix and there's one on hulu both are good but this guy was like a massive fraud right and he basically held this uh this festival hyped it up to be this thing that was going to be the best festival in the world and it turned out to be like the worst festival in the world right and so if we want to understand fire festival all we need to do is look at that guy's initial conditions what did he do before that well he just ripped off a bunch of millennials promising the world and giving them nothing all right so of course that's what he's going to do like at a larger scale with fire festival these things there's always the initial conditions tell you a lot right and so things to take from this is one pay attention to the initial conditions like pay attention to your hires pay attention to how things are forming because they have a tendency to self-replicate and you know a's higher a's and b's higher c's and c's higher d's and if you have d's you're fucked right and it really if you have anyone other than a's you're fucked so really this is something a lot of people don't pay attention to once you get because of number one there's a constant pull towards entropy that you as an entrepreneur you have to be combating entropy everywhere right so like we have a standard in our company that will only hire a's and then once we have one the next hire must be better than the than that than our existing hire you know when we have like our software engineers once we've got a really good software engineer the next software engineer we hire must be better than that one if they're just as good or worse we will not hire them this is an anti-entropy strategy because what it is is it's saying that we're not going to even accept the same because there is a constant pull towards entropy anyway that even if we try to just get people that are the same in terms of talent we will go down right there's no such thing as maintenance in the world you know you can't maintain your body and it will live forever right it's not going to happen even if you try your hardest to maintain it's aging sure you can do things to combat it and not age as fast but there's no maintenance in this world there is only entropy and in business you can do some things to combat it one of them is to constantly lift the standards of everything so once you think you've found the smartest people in the world the next people you hire have to be better and then once you you think you've released the best product you can possibly release and you've given it everything and it is the best by a large margin the next time you release one it has to be even better than the late the last one was right 
it is a constant trying to make everything better. Because there's a constant pull towards entropy, we have to do this. And same with you know, initial conditions. You want to really pay attention to these things. You want to make, and for those people who have, who have used uh, Facebook ads, right? So we see both of these things with Facebook ads. Entropy, I mean, how long does an ad last before it starts to go down and then die, right? Not very long, right? Facebook, there is, entropy occurs on most people's campaigns that I see, in, like after about five days, right? It starts to go down. And most of Facebook is fighting entropy. And this we see this happen there. But we also see initial conditions with Facebook. So Facebook even has this, this thing that it says learning, right? So when you first launch an ad set and you're optimizing for conversions at the ad set level and you, you set a conversion, it might be leads or opt-ins or something, right? So it's going, that algorithm is going to start learning as what it's basically doing is it's grabbing a combination of variables like audience, image, and, and ad, and placement, and time of day, and different cross sections of that audience. And it's basically taking these elements and it's trying all sorts of possible combinations and arrangements of these variables, of which there are many. And it's taking these little samples, showing them to people, and seeing which ones work the best. And by best, I mean show that someone's going to convert. And it actually says in brackets, learning when you first launch an ad set. This is initial conditions going on. You know, it could Facebook could just say in brackets, initial conditions occurring, right? So this is what this is what's happening. I sometimes refer to this as like the Garden of Eden phase uh, that a Facebook ad is going through. And so in the first kind of one day to, to four days, those are the initial conditions that are happening. And those are very important. And what you'll notice is with Facebook ads, you can take an ad in an audience that works. You know it works because you can see it. It says it's working, right? and you can try this experiment yourself, then just duplicate that ad set, right? It's a carbon copy. It is identical in every way, shape, and form. And then we launch it, and the duplicate doesn't work. And so this confuses the hell out of most people. Their brain just goes boom, because they're like, how does this work? I just saw, I know this works. I can see it's working, and I created a carbon copy of it, and it doesn't work. This is why you need to understand chaos and initial conditions and entropy. Why does that happen? I'll tell you how it happens, and no one knows this at all. Like, I, I talk to a lot of people about this sort of stuff, and I've never met anyone that really could tell me this. And so what happens is, in those initial conditions, Facebook is basically... I'll, I'll draw it so it makes a bit of sense here. So let's say you have a... You have an audience of 100,000 people that you specify, and you have an ad like this, right? And you also, uh, let's say that's what happens. You create an ad, and then you specify an audience that's roughly 100,000 people, and then you tell Facebook to go. Well, Facebook just doesn't take your ad and the 100,000 people and just 
just run it like that. There is another element that no one really understands, which is the algorithm here. And what the algorithm's doing is it's cutting a cross-section of this 100,000. So it's going to cut samples of all different parts of this. It's going to basically take a random sample of this 100,000, and then that random sample, let's say it's only going to be about uh, 1,000 people, right? It's going to take a random sample of 1,000 of that 100,000, and it's going to take this ad and the different placements, because it could have put it on the newsfeed, for mobile, the newsfeed for desktop, and it's going to try this ad with placements, and it's going to try it with this cross-section of a thousand people. And it's going to be testing to see which people in this random sample of a thousand are most receptive to this ad on what placement for the ultimate goal of this conversion event, right? And it's going to calculate these things. This is the initial conditions occurring. This is when Facebook sees in brackets learning. And when it's doing that, it will decide like what what cross-section of this 100,000 has the highest probability of working with this ad. And then it's going to basically cut out a cross-section of, let's say, uh, it's going to cut a cross-section of 10,000 and this initial conditions period's over. And it's going to have a, it's going to take the ad, it's going to show it to these 100,000, and it's going to use uh, whatever placements worked best. Now, what this means is that you're not, it isn't actually the same thing. You know, you're not just showing the same ad to the same 100,000 people. Because the first time you launched it, initial conditions occurred that were different because different people would have seen the ad and interacted with the ad. And what happens is if somebody sees the ad and clicks on it and likes it, and they're not really the right person to see the ad, click on it and like it, then that's going to skew the evolution of that ad and make it make its like vector into the future not good, right? It's going to... It's going to evolve into something that doesn't work, right? And this is all due to something that happened in the initial conditions. The ad's the same. The audience is the same. But because of a few different actions that could have happened in the initial condition stage, it skews the evolution of this thing, and it doesn't work. Or if the right people see the ad, if the right people click on it, if the right people take these actions, then that's going to, Facebook's going to select the right 10,000 people to show it to. And it's going to show to them, and it's going to work. And it's going to have a good future, and it's going to be profitable, right? And so this is initial conditions occurring on Facebook, right? Because there is, this is what is going on, and most people don't understand this, but it's, it's absolutely what happens. And the same thing happens with like a Facebook group or a community, right? The first people that you invite into a community or the first customers you have in a customer community and the culture that takes place there and kind of evolves at that nexus stage, right? That is so important because all that's going to happen at a larger stage, at a larger stage is just a, an extreme version of what happened in the initial conditions right? 
So if we take an ad set that evolved on Facebook and it had good initial conditions, we scale it, we're probably going to see it work well, even at larger scales. But we take an ad set that had bad initial conditions, we scale it, we're just going to see an amplified loss, right? And this just doesn't happen on Facebook. I mean, it happens, initial conditions happen everywhere. So hopefully this is starting to make sense. But even if we get good initial conditions and the ad set is, well, the ad is good, the audience is good, the initial conditions are good and it works, we are still fighting entropy. So even when we get everything right, we still are fighting entropy. It's still going to have a pull towards chaos and it's still going to have a pull towards death, right? And I can tell you that I've had some combinations that worked really well on Facebook. The longest ad that I've had in production lived for one year. Might have been a little bit more than one year. But it was a Facebook ad and it was called like 26-year-old punk. Um, and it worked for one year. Most people's Facebook ads don't work for longer than about four or five days, right? And this is an example of what you can do when you understand chaos and entropy and initial conditions. Is you can understand why things in a complex system do what they do, and you can understand how to influence and manipulate and improve your chances for success. Now the third one is importance of feedback. And we'll just call this feedback. Now, feedback is extremely, extremely, extremely important, and most people don't understand it. And how feedback basically works is it's best shown if I just grab, if I create a small diagram here. I think I can do it using the space. So with any system, we basically have inputs, outputs, and like processes in the middle, right? And so with any system, we put things in, processes occur, outputs come out. Now outputs are basically like results, right? And inputs could be different combinations of variables. Let me give you an example because this is an abstract thing. So with Facebook, what are the inputs? Well, we have the ad, we have the images for the ad, and then the ad has headlines. We might have different variations of headline. And then there's audiences, and we might have different variations of audiences. And then there is, uh, there's other things like placements, right? Like is it desktop, mobile, uh, right-hand side, or whatnot? And these are the inputs we put in. The processes is basically what occurs in uh, on, on the platform. So the algorithm is taking all of these possible combinations, it's combining them in, in unique ways, and it's iterating through all of these possible combinations and finding the string and the combination of variables that is most optimal to achieve the end that we seek, which is like uh, conversions, whatever conversion event we've specified. And so that's an example, right? Or inputs when you're starting a company, 
That is the people you hire. That's probably one of the main inputs. Who is on the team? Also, uh, another one could be like, what are the principles? Or what are the core values? And also, what's the culture like? And what, uh, what is the goal? What is the objective, right? And so based on these inputs, then the processes that, are occur, that occur are the, that's the day-to-day -day interactions the, and what's going on when these combinations of things are combined. And the output we see is basically the products. So like what products come out? And we also see what results come out. How many customers? How much profit? How much revenue? How much clients do they have? That is an output that comes from those inputs. And this is basically how a system works, and this is how everything works. You can apply this system mental model to anything, the same way you can apply these different uh, chaos theory principles to everything as well. But the point of what I'm saying with here is actually to a feedback. So what is feedback? Well, this, this is where it gets interesting. So, with most systems, we see outputs and we see inputs. And one thing confuses a lot of humans, and it's this. Like, let's say here we have a, we have a chart. And let's say here uh, is, let's put... Let's put time here, and then let's put results here. And results could be number of customers, uh, amount of profit, or whatever. And what we see is, and I'm just going to draw on this because that green is hard to see. So we've got time, results. And what we see with a lot of things is like a flat kind of trajectory. So someone might be trying to get more customers or make more money, but it's a flat curve. Or it, um, and it's not even a curve, it's just flat. Or it might be a steady decline, right? And maybe if somebody is working really hard and making little incremental improvements, maybe they can get a linear improvement over time. Right? So most businesses, most people, and pretty much most human beings, they produce linear incremental improvements, or no improvements, or decline. And really, no one really maintains. So this middle line doesn't really exist, but I'm putting it in here for an example. But then there's the there's a few rare exceptions. And they look, their curve looks like this. Right? It goes like exponential. And it has that hockey stick kind of curve to it. And a lot of humans see this and they're like, how does that happen? How does that occur? And this is a really good question. Like, how the hell does that do that? Right? What causes that? Most people don't know. 
And I can tell you what causes that. So whenever you see something do that, it means that feedback is present. And what feedback basically does is let's imagine that with the flat chart or the you know the one that's going linear up incrementally or linear down incrementally right that one will have a relationship where let's say we put in a one as an input and we get out a two right so we're trading ones for twos so we put in a one we get out a two we put in a one we get out a two and what i mean by that is Let's say that uh, if I work for a full day, and we count that as one, then I make, uh, I make 200 bucks, right? Then tomorrow I put in a day, I make 200 bucks. I put in another day, I make 200 bucks. I put in another day, I make 200 bucks. This is, this is how most people's life is, and most, this is how most businesses are. Or someone might know that if I make five sales calls a day, I'll get one client, right? And also with Facebook ads or any type of paid advertising, if I spend a dollar on ads, I'll get out $2 on ads. So you spend a dollar on ads, you get out $2 on from ads, and you might spend the same, uh, or you might slightly increase your budget and you'll see an incremental curve, right? And this is what happens with most people but, and don't get me wrong, trading ones for twos is pretty good. But, it still doesn't give us this. It doesn't give us the exponential curve. So, how do you get an exponential curve? Feedback. And what feedback is, is it's when we take the output and we feed it back around as the input. So, this is how we get exponential behavior. So now imagine this. I put in a 1, I get out a 2. Now I get that 2 and I put that in here. I put in a 2, I get out a 4. Alright, now I get that 4, I put it in here, and now I get an 8. Then I grab that 8, put it in here, now I get out a 16, right? And this happens, like, this is how you grow exponentially and how you have one of these curves is you need feedback. So that is when we have a system where we get out more than we put in. So you have to build one of those first, which is, you know, it's, it's quite a bit of work, but that's what a business is. A business is basically an instrument where we get out more than we put in. It's net positive, right? We could build a business that is net negative, where we put in something and we get out less. Now, any system where we put in something and get out less is going to die quickly, right? So that's not what you want. However, what you want is a system or an instrument where you put in something, you get out more. That is net positive. That is a business that is profitable and that can function and, and survive. However, once you've achieved that, you want to play with feedback. You want to start taking your outputs and feeding them back around. Now, this is how I scaled my business a lot, very quickly. So, you know, I started out in my first year, I made 
zero dollars. And then in my second year, I made about a hundred grand. And then I think we grew to like 500 grand. And it took like three years to get to about 500 grand. And then within four and a half, five years, we're making $18 million a year. Right? And now we're up at like 30 something million a year. And it only really like six years have accrued. So that's pretty exponential. Like, how does that happen? Well, I can tell you what I did is when I started to make money, I reinvested that money. And I had built instruments where I could I where I could get out more than I put in. So I basically created funnels and processes that where I could feed them with ads. So let's say that my inputs is traffic, web traffic, clicks, people on the internet clicking on things. That is my input. What is my process, this triangle? Well, that would be like the funnel that I built. So for Consulting Accelerator, it's an automated webinar and I built that process and that sequence. And then what was the output? Well, the output was getting customers at a profit. So I could spend a dollar on ads and I could get out like $5 in uh, revenue. And I could put in a dollar, get out $5, put in a dollar, get out $5. And I started by, you know, I started with small budgets, like $50 a day, then up to $100 a day. And I just kept feeding it back around. And I got it up to the point where we were like spending $40,000 a day on ads. And people don't understand this. Like, I think a lot of people never get, never are able to reinvest their earnings because they never build a system that's net positive anyway. So your first priority in business should be build a system or an instrument that's net positive, where you get out more than you put in. Then figure out a way to feed that machine, something with a lot of volume, something like paid ads, right? Something you can scale. You know, I like paid ads because it's a tap that you can open a little bit and just get a trickle out of, but then you can open that thing right up and you can get a big flow. And so when you can get things to work at a small scale and when you get the initial conditions right, and when you build a system that at a small scale is net positive and it gets out more than, it, than you put in, then what you can do is you can just open up the tap and keep pumping it and keep feeding it back around, right? This is what you do. And then, this is also why, like, it's why there's that quote from Albert Einstein that says, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it, earns it. He who doesn't, pays it. Right? This is true. Einstein knew about what we're talking about here. Einstein knew about initial conditions and feedback. So if you like, there's a reverse one of these and that is debt, right? So if you have debt, then I borrow a dollar today and in the future I owe like more than $1 for that $1 I took. So it's net negative, right? And then that accumulates interest with time. So as time accrues, I owe more and more and more money for that dollar I took. It's a really bad deal, right? And so if you have debt, you go down. 
But if you have savings that earn interest, then it's going up. Because if I have a million dollars in my bank account and I'm earning 10% interest, then I'm going to have at the end of the year, 1,100,000. And then the next year, I'm going to earn 10% on that. And it's going to keep growing and keep growing and keep growing. And if you look at Warren Buffett's net worth over time, you'll see Warren Buffett's net worth curve. And you'll see it looks like this. It's exponential. Over time, it has that hockey stick nature. And it's because Warren Buffett understands feedback really well. He understands all of this. And basically what he's tried to do is create Berkshire Hathaway as an instrument that can take in capital and over time produce more capital than is put in. It's net positive. And that's why Berkshire Hathaway, its shares have gone up exponentially. Uh, Warren Buffett's net worth and all the shareholders of Berkshire have gone up exponentially. And it's because Buffett understands feedback. When he makes money from something, he doesn't take it out and buy a Lamborghini, right? If you take the money out of the system and you spend it on something stupid like a Lamborghini, there is no feedback, right? Once you take that, let's say you you get you make a hundred grand. If you take that hundred grand out of the business and into your personal account, now you owe taxes. You owe a lot, and if you pay taxes on that, that's going nowhere. That you may as well light that on fire, and now you've got a car. And that car isn't going to make you any money. Actually, that car is going to take your time, energy, attention, and focus away from your business, which is going to double fuck you because now you've paid a lot of tax and you've also don't have money in the business because you took it out. And worse than that, now you've got to maintain this car. It needs insurance, it needs gas, and it needs to be cleaned, and it needs maintenance and all of that. But So it's going to cost you more money over time. Then when you sell it, you're going to get back less than you spent on it. And not only that, but it's going to take your time. Because you spent so much money on this thing, you're going to say to yourself, I need to use it to get my values worth. And now your using of it is taking your time and energy and attention and focus away from the company. So you're getting screwed on about five different dimensions. <laughs> so that is why people like Warren Buffett don't do stupid stuff like that. Because they understand feedback. And they understand that you want to keep the energy within the system and you want to keep feeding it back around, right? Once you have something that works like that, you don't take it out. You keep feeding it back around and feeding it back around. And there's a good, um, there's a good observation of a feedback loop present in, in nature or in the world, which I'm sure a lot of you have, have heard yourself is I'm sure you've seen someone with like a microphone and they've turned it on and then there's the speaker, right? Like right next to the microphone. And so a microphone is the input. It's taking a sound wave and from like someone speaking and then it is the process is it's amplifying it, right? It's taking that sound wave in, it's grabbing that pattern and then it's boosting it right up and then it's the output is the sound waves coming out of the speaker at an amplified uh, at an ampl amplified rate. And so then what happens is because the microphone's sitting next to the speaker, it comes out of the speaker and back into the microphone. And now because it's come into the microphone again at an amplified rate, now it's amplifying it even more. It comes out the speaker, 
boom. And again, it's going boom, 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 boom. And that's why you'll hear a feedback loop occur with a microphone. It will go boop, 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 boop. And it, it keeps going bigger, bigger, bigger. And you swear the thing's going to blow up. Sometimes it might. Other times someone might quickly turn it off, right? That is a feedback loop. And so these things, they're, they're not this... While what I'm explaining to you here is our concepts, right? These are abstractions and mental models that we can use to understand the world around us and understand the nature of things and how we can interact with them and influence them. But really this stuff, it, it happens. It's, and you can prove it with simple little experiments, right? You can prove entropy. You can prove initial conditions and you can prove feedback. And you can all, I've given you a lot of different use cases too, and examples of real life companies, people, situations, so that you can understand these. And this is part of what I'm trying to teach you in this new little series, is the power of mental models and the power of seeing chaos and seeing complexity and seeing things that most people cannot comprehend and run away from and hide in their room and eat McDonald's and watch Netflix because it's just too scary. Well, you can understand these things if you have the right mental models, and then it's actually fun. Become Life is like a little experiment where you get to tinker with things, and and it and you get... It's, it's really quite fun. It's like playing a video game with life. Now, let's talk about the fourth one, which is... Non... Linearity, and we've kind of already covered this, but when we understand that there's a constant pull towards entropy, right, disorder, we have to have methods for fighting entropy. We have to always be thinking, how can we protect this against entropy? There's initial conditions. So in the initial stages, when a combination of elements come together and form like a nexus within an environment, right, then whatever happens at that moment in time, in those initial conditions, that is of extreme importance. And it's something you need to pay very close attention to. Whether it's your team forming, whether it's your culture forming, whether it's you have a kid, Right? If you have a kid, then those initial years are extremely important. Those are the initial conditions that the kid is, is experiencing. You know, if you look at a lot of serial killers, and then they look at their upbringing, it's pretty haunting. Right? And so, a lot of the time we don't see these serial killers that, were, that had perfect, like, normal kind of upbringings just, just go off the rails. There's generally initial conditions that have come in and and had a, had a massive hand in this. It's like the invisible hand, right? It, this is, when you understand chaos and you understand all of these things, it's like you understand that invisible hand that comes in and it moves things and it influences things that most people can't see. But when you learn how to see, you, you can really see the invisible hand doing its thing and you can influence it too. And then we've got feedback. Now, feedback can exponentially help you, but it can also exponentially harm you, right? So if we use debt, 
because it's an instrument that has feedback attached to it, because the output comes back around and it becomes the input. For example, if we earn interest, it's going to have an exponential up, a helpful effect. However, if we have debt, it's going to have an exponential harmful effect. And another one is like uh, your mindset, right? So like your psychology. So imagine this scenario. You are, and they actually see this, this is a phenomenon that has been observed a lot. So the relationship between the birth date of children and their athletic performance, right? And their athletic career. So children, I forget the exact dates, but if you Google this, you'll be able to find it. So if children have a, if children are born like near the start of the year, then that means that they, uh, they get to, they get a full like year's head start of like other children that are playing in that kind of, in that class of, of sport. So, you know, basically the way sports works is in early, and I, I never paid much attention to sports. This is why my explanation of it is bad, but you'll get the point I'm trying to make. Uh, so when they're forming teams and they're forming different like competition levels, they use your birth date and when you were born to, to see if you should be in that grade or that grade. And children who have a birth date, I think it's towards the start of the year, they get more practice time compared to other children who are at the, at the end of the year. So they've got an unfair advantage. And when you have an unfair advantage in the initial conditions, right? It is amplified with feedback, and we the result of that is nonlinearity. And let me explain this string. So you have a bit of a head start, a bit of an unfair advantage. Not huge, but a bit, because you've been practicing longer, you're a little bit bigger, you're a bit stronger than the other kids. So what happens? Well, at practice, you because the coach quickly realizes, wow, that kid, that kid's good. So now coach is giving you additional attention, right? Now with that additional attention, you start to think, whoa, the coach is giving me additional attention. I must be good. Now that you think you're good, you start playing better. Now the coach is like, whoa, I saw that I gave that kid attention and it made him way better. Now I'm going to give him more attention. Then the kid thinks, oh, I'm getting more attention from the coach. I must be really good. So now they think they're even better. Now they start playing even better. Vroom, vroom, vroom. Feedback loop is occurring. And now the other kids on the team are like, well, the coach really likes that kid and that kid's getting, that kid was good and now he's way better. So now the other kids on the team praise that kid. And now that kid thinks he's even better. Feedback loop. Now what happens is when they're, during game time, because all the other kids and the coach think that this kid is better, then the other kids pass the ball to that kid more frequently, more often. And the coach keeps that kid on the field longer than other kids and puts him in the position where he's going to learn the most. All of this happens, now the audience and the crowd is watching, they're observing this, and they start talking about this kid. Now the team thinks the kid's even better, this keeps going, and now some talent scout sees the kid who's way better than the other kids, and then they offer that kid a role in, like, a position in another more professional team. That kid gets there, and then it goes boom, 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 up, 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 and now you get someone like uh, Michael Jordan or something, right? So that explains what happens here. 
initial conditions, that was the first little practice round. And this one kid had a small advantage, not very big, small, but a small advantage in the initial conditions gets amplified exponentially with feedback. And the result of this is nonlinearity. And nonlinearity is basically a curve that's exponential or it's non it's basically nonlinear. It's not like a it's not a straight line, it has a curve to it. And this is what happens, it happens everywhere. I also saw that there was a study done on like goldfish and the initial conditions. And so if you ran an experiment and you had some goldfish that are the same species, same age and everything, but and you put them in a in a uh, pond, right? They're identical in every way, shape, and form, even age, everything. However, one of those goldfish has a slight size advantage. For whatever reason, it's just a little bit bigger, right? Now what happens? Well, when the goldfish swim to the food and try to get it, the big goldfish can beat them away from it and get it. Now the big fish is eating more food. When the big fish eats more food, it gets bigger, 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 until you end up with this one massive fish and then a bunch of other fish, right? It was the difference in size was not that extreme at the beginning, but because of feedback from initial conditions, we see nonlinearity, right? And so that is chaos. And this is a excellent mental model to use to understand the world and business and yourself and your mindset and your psychology. You know, if you, once you, start to to think like I'm good at doing this and then the result of you actually doing it proves that you are good and you do get good results then that comes back around and they're like whoa I actually am good and now your output is even greater and they're like whoa I'm really good and then it keeps going like that right so sometimes like just getting an initial win or that first I remember my first ever client right for one year I had no clients, but that first client I had just totally changed the game because now I thought I, I had this confidence. And then when I had that confidence, I got more clients, then I had more confidence and it's just gone around and around and around like this. And so it works with skill. It works with your mindset and your confidence. It also works with money and finances and growing your company it also works with products it works with everything you know there's always these things entropy initial conditions feedback and non-linearity and you want to learn to think like this whenever you are observing something try to understand what is going on try to understand like what is the system here what are the inputs what are the processes what are the outputs is there feedback present in this thing and if there is feedback what is it because Whatever things have feedback attached to them, that is something that is going to cause massive shifts and changes. Whenever feedback is present in a system, you see massive things happen. So for example, I always try to engineer feedback into my company. An example is for, with paid advertising. We build something that is net positive, where we put in a dollar, we get out more than one dollar, and then we start feeding it back around, and we just take it 
to the moon. We take it as far as we can, but it goes further than that. Then when it comes to hiring, I want to make sure that we hire the smartest people and that our standards are excruciatingly high. Some people might argue way too high, right? Then by doing that, we attract those people, we get those people on the team. Now our results are better. Now our uh, return on investment is better. But now what happens is we've got more money and we've got people on our team that are really smart. So now we can afford to pay and get even smarter people. And then we get them and then that happens again. And now we can afford to get even better people and even better people, right? So you can see how this happens. And then the same thing with products. Like I release a product and then we have customers go through it and then customers give feedback. And with that feedback, it's even called feedback for God's sake. You know, customers give feedback. You can choose not to listen to that feedback. You can, and then you won't have a feedback loop. But if you listen to it and you think, how can we make this better? Then that feeds back around to the new version of the product, the new version of the course. Then you make it even better now you've got even more feedback and it keeps going like this. This is why every time I release a new version of a product, it gets better, 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 because I'm feeding it back around. And then it goes deeper than that. It even comes into like engineering network effects and things. So, you know, as we release content and we grow like our website's content, then we get a higher ranking in Google for different search terms. The higher our ranking in Google, the more traffic we get. The more traffic we get, the higher our ranking in Google, right? There's a feedback loop here. Then the more money we make, then the more talent we can get, then the more rankings we can achieve, the more traffic we get, and it keeps going like this. It's a flywheel, a feedback loop, and even, f even more than that, we try to get testimonials from clients. You know, we help a client, they get testimonials, well, we get testimonials from them, now other people thinking about buying this see those testimonials and then they're like, okay, I'm going to buy it. Now we get a testimonial from them and then it grows exponentially. That's why we've got like three and a half thousand testimonials feedback. And more than that, we even have like a refer a friend program so that every customer we get, we get a testimonial from them. We get some money from them, which we can use to improve our talent and our products. But we also get feedback from them, which we use to improve our products. But we get more than that. We even ask them to refer our product to other people. And then we get, it grows, right? There's network effects present in the system at that point. And we're basically trying to grow the viral coefficient because if you get a viral coefficient of, le of greater than or equal to 1.5, then you don't need any outside influence for a system to grow, right? Facebook is a prime example of that. Facebook never spent a dollar on ads or anything like that. Because if someone got onto Facebook, they'd invite other people onto Facebook. And then when they invited other people onto Facebook, they invited other people onto Facebook. And so it went like this. And so that's how we saw it explode and get to like 2 billion users or whatever it's got right now. And network effects are a function of like, you know, feedback and all of this. So that's basically it for this video. How to play with chaos in business. How to use, or how to, how to, create abstract mental models of the world that you can use as a lens to view complexity through so that you can understand it and you can predict it and you can influence it and change it and be right more often. Not always, right? But more often. And use entropy, initial conditions, feedback, 
and understand nonlinearity as a function of these things. So that's it for today's video. Let me know what you think in the comments below. Do you like these mental model videos? This is the first one I've done on a mental model. Now, if you like them and you tell me through feedback, remember this, then I'll make more of them. But if you tell me you don't like them, I'll make less, might make none, right? So let me know in the feedback and let this system do its thing. And also click that like button if you liked it. And then subscribe. There's a subscribe button beneath. Click subscribe if you want to receive the other mental model videos that are going to be coming out if that feedback is good. And I release one of them every week on a Tuesday. So that's it for today's video. Hope you enjoyed it. Give me some feedback. Click subscribe. And I'll see you in the next one soon.